Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of I'm Not Black, I'm Mahogany. I'm your host, Love Bees, and I'm so excited to start this podcast. It has literally been years and decades in the making, but we will talk about that later. So excuse me if this is a little amateur because this is my very first episode. However, I promise, 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 Give me a few tries and we'll figure it out together. Um, So the content that is provided in this podcast will be a collection of stories and interviews regarding lifestyle decisions. So my purpose in creating this podcast is to inform and inspire others so that you, you know, can relate to someone. I mean, we all want to be able to relate to someone and not feel like we're the only one going through whatever it is that we're going through, whether it's love life or the relationships we have with our parents and our children, our jobs. We all have a story to tell about every part of our life. So I'm hoping that me sharing a little bit with you all will inspire you to either take action or be motivated to uh, just think deeper about some of the topics that I'll present. I can promise you that some of these episodes may be pretty short and sweet, and then there may be some that are a little longer. So while I'm figuring it all out, like I said, we'll just work through it together. I chose this specific weekend, which is Father's Day 2022, as well as Juneteenth, to get started uh, recording and presenting the episodes for this podcast. Um, I decided to do this as a tribute to my father. He was an exceptional man with so much wisdom, and I just I learned so much from him um, just regarding life decisions and how to manage my feelings. And so I feel like this podcast is a way of channeling uh, some of my emotions and feelings that I have, um, especially since it's a little over two years since my father's been gone. So um, definitely this is a little different for me to really talk about him in a presence of others that I don't know, but I hope and pray that my story and my memories of him will inspire you to either connect with your parents more if you still have them, connect with your, you know, if you don't have both parents, maybe the one parent that you have, or maybe it will inspire you to, I don't know, start a relationship with your parents if you don't have one so uh if you don't have a relationship I mean so just whatever you can gain from this conversation I would definitely appreciate you all letting me know your thoughts and uh just you know us once again working through it together (laughs) so back to my father um Most of the time, uh, my father was a very reserved individual. He really didn't raise his voice much, but when he did, it was usually during sermons um, because he was a minister. 
And when he would preach, uh, he would get really excited and his voice would rise. And <laughs> and that was the, the times that I really, you know, saw him, uh, heard him have a, a loud voice. But most of the time he was pretty reserved and very serious. Yeah, very serious person. Um, but <laughs> the title of this podcast actually comes from one of the few times I was able to make him laugh. So one day when I was like, I think eight or nine years old, I realized that one of the meanings of the word mahogany was that it was a reddish brown color. So in my eight or nine year old brain, I was like, why does everyone say that we is in African-Americans? Why do they say we are black when our skin color is not actually black? And I told him this joke and I said, hey, daddy, I'm not black. I'm mahogany. Well, he laughed so hard (laughs) and it was one of my favorite jokes to tell him after that. I felt so accomplished because I'd actually been able to make him laugh and that wasn't an easy thing to do. So this podcast, I, you know, is definitely, like I said, years in the making because (laughs) that joke was told forever ago. We're not going to say exactly how long ago, but (laughs) it was when I was eight or nine years old. And, um, this was a joke that I just, I, I felt inspired to name my podcast after that. Um, he also taught me how to be responsible, uh, for my actions, accountable. Um, he was a firm believer in God and he always felt spirit led to do anything. That's actually how we wound up in the tiny town we lived in after relocating from a major city. Um, I'm at the time, (laughs) and as I got older, I had no idea why they chose to do that, but I did understand as time went along that it was because he felt spirit led to do that. Um, and I had nothing but respect for that. So I can't, I can't decipher a conversation that someone has with God. So I, I definitely trusted him though. And my mom trusted him because she, you know, we all left, (laughs) like we, we all packed up our stuff. We all moved away. Uh, about 200 and so, 200 or so miles away from where our family and friends and the life that I think they lived for about 20 years um, was. Um, so I kind of think of it as mission work because we were going to a place based off of God's directions. But, you know, others may may not think that. But I I had the thought that maybe that's kind of what it was. So... Um, when I think of how much my parents gave up to move there though, it is astonishing that they were able to build a life, but my father was just that kind of man. I mean, he just, he never expected anything but greatness. So he just always felt like things would be okay. Something my father told me for years is that he saw me in a vision. And after a stillbirth death with his first daughter, her name was Christy Love. He and my mom went to an adoption agency and he finally found the girl in the vision, which was me. At the time, I was under a different name and it was actually Takara Johnson. So it would be hard to believe that he actually did this if I hadn't seen my own daughter in a vision uh, about 14 years ago. 
So the fact that my father was never a jokester told me he meant what he said when he said he saw her in a vision, saw me, I'm sorry, saw me in a vision. So I definitely believed and trusted that God did bring me to him and, and showed him, you know, uh, what it was, who, who he was supposed to adopt. Um, so at the time I was adopted, my parents had been married for a while and, uh, when he adopted me, he actually created this paperback book. I remember it was blue and it had yellow hearts on it. It was handmade. Um, I, I, I want to say like the pages of the book were actually put together with the, um, it was like a three hole, three hole, um, paper. And it actually had like the tabs that you stick between there to, hold the papers together like really old school I can't exactly think of the name but uh it was a really like handmade (laughs) type of book and uh it started with about three paragraphs uh typed of how loved and how special I was um and I remember each paragraph it would start out my dearest India my my love my sweetheart Uh, because that's really the way my father talked to me. (laughs) It it may seem like, you know, um, like it came out of a book of, you know, players, but it really was the way he talked to me. Um, So it was actually called The Book That Love Built. And it had all kind of pictures of our life when I was first uh, introduced to them. Um, there was actually a picture of us at the Hall of Justice back in the early 80s when I was first adopted. So I thought that was pretty amazing. I'll never forget. I had on a, a turtleneck gold shirt and I believe it was like red and green stripes. So uh, real 80s attire. <laughs> so I just I thought that was so cool. And then he also included a lot of pictures of him and my mom and all the trips they used to go on. Like they took a trip to Niagara Falls and I remember they took pictures with the bus driver. I believe they, they went, uh, they went a few other places. I believe Texas and just, they had all these pictures and collages and they placed them all in this book uh, called the book that love built. So I was (laughs) loved from the very, 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 very beginning. Um, so as I got older, uh, you fast forward and I became a preteen and we all know that going into the teenage world is something totally brand new. I don't think you really understand it until you either have a, you know, a, a close connection with someone that is a teenager and like a nephew or niece or grandson, granddaughter or daughter or son, but whoo. Is it a whole other world? It definitely is. (laughs) And of course, at the time, I was just living my life. I had no idea. But uh, he and I became so distant because, you know, the little girl that he once knew was no longer there. I was growing up. I was in the guise and I wanted to wear makeup and talk crazy and reckless to him and my mom because I thought I was, you know, of course, I knew everything. It only you know, 12, 13 years old. So (laughs) we had some tense moments during that period. Um, But throughout it all, he remained steadfast and just a constant in my life. So I'm so thankful for that, that he was able to 
see past my craziness, the crazy world of being a teenager, and um, that it was, you know, it wasn't a deal breaker for us. <laughs> um, so as I, I got older, I, I started to see the amazingness of my parents more and more. And at 16 years old, I was actually able to witness my father graduating with his doctor's degree from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. You talk about an achievement. My father, he wrote a book, um, which was part of his doctoral uh, part. Of, in order to graduate, you had to write that. And uh, I was so excited for him, so proud of him, all the hours and time he spent just like literally locked in his study um, and just writing and, you know, the support that my mom had to give him, you know, just being there, being a supportive wife. I mean, it was just, it was something to behold because I mean, he, my father was that type of person when he wanted something, he went after it. He didn't let, what's the saying? Don't let dust settle under your feet. He didn't, he did or grass grow under your feet. However it goes, he didn't let any of those things happen. He was always looking for the next uh, thing. He always knew that there was always more to learn. And so that's what I feel like made him that much more special because he was never a believer that he couldn't learn anything. He always knew that there was something better out there, something newer. Um, he was really into technology. <laughs> so it was kind of funny because uh, he was a lot older when uh, cell phones and computers were introduced, but he was dead set on getting the latest, most up-to-date electronics, whether it was computer, a cell phone, anything. In fact, I believe he got an iPhone before I did. So he was he was he was up to par on on getting all the coolest and most up-to-date electronics. Um, and so that's, that's one thing I definitely admired about him is that he was never willing to stop learning. And when I was 16, when he actually graduated, uh, I believe he was in his sixties. I believe he was in his sixties. So, cause that was about 22 years ago, back in the year 2000. So yeah, I believe he was in his sixties when, when, um, he graduated and I couldn't have been prouder. Um, so I know as I got even older and moved into early adulthood, I remember struggling in college and not being serious about my education. Um, as some people may have experienced, college provides tons of opportunities to, I don't know, reinvent yourself and meet people and, you know, just live a little differently than you have maybe for the last 18 years. And so what I did, of course, being that small town, I couldn't wait till I turned 18 to get out of it and run to the, the major city that we were uh, originally at. So that's what I did. And I partied like it was, you know, 1999. <laughs> and at the time it was only what, 2003? But I partied it like it was 1999. And I just... Um, yeah, it was, it was not a good thing. Um, I ended up failing out, I believe my first year of college. And so I ended up having to sit out for a year because I was on a scholarship. 
And, um, but I remember during that time I was, you know, I really wasn't down on myself. I just was like, I'm going to move through this. I'm going to get past it. And you talk about supportive. My father was amazing. Like he, he would tell me, I know you're going to do it. I'm not worried. I know you're going to do what you have to do. And I actually ended up uh, getting pregnant. So by this time, because of the time that had lapsed um, with me getting kicked out of school and everything and going back at this time, I was now 23. So when I got pregnant, I wasn't that sure that I was going to finish, but I wanted to keep pushing myself. And and my father, he was just always a believer, always a believer. And I, I had my baby at 24 and I graduated at 24, I believe. (laughs) I believe I was either 24 or 25 because I actually graduated in December of that year. So depending on what that date is, and my birthday is in December, um, depending on what that date was, I have to go back and look. But yeah, I graduated sometime around my birthday of uh, that year. And I actually graduated with a Bachelor of Science in uh, Administration of Justice. So, (laughs) thanks in part for my father a whole lot for being one of my biggest supporters and uh, believers that I would continue. Um, But it really isn't a surprise because that's the way he was. And of course, when my daughter was born, he was just in love. Um, He actually even called her baby girl. And that was like her permanent nickname like oh baby girl well what are you doing baby girl hey baby girl I mean you couldn't tell them anything they were two peas in a pod and um he I remember him uh giving her a bottle when I had ran out of the hospital one time to go I think I ran to the store with my mom or something and um he was actually feeding her and or he was trying to feed her but when we came in he had actually just dropped the bottle so the bottle broke and it was just on the floor but he was just you know steady trying to hold on to her and you know just protect her at all costs and as she got older um he continued to just be be that same person anything she wanted she got it all she had to do was ask granddaddy that was that was the thing Um, So it was just, it was really one of those wonderful type of things. I remember when I was pregnant, I wasn't very happy with the fact that I was pregnant at the time that I was pregnant because I was so young. And like I said, I was trying to graduate college. But of course, you know, when you're grown, you do grown things and grown consequences. So there you go. But I do know that my daughter was one of the biggest blessings in my life. And my father never wavered in that. He never, never thought anything different. Um, And it actually, I believe it maybe added another level of respect that he had for me because um, his father had actually died in an accident when he was around eight. So his mother became a single mom. um, And that, of course, changed his outlook on life and changed his outlook on uh, just being raised and, and single mother. So when he saw that I was a single mom and I was continuing to uh, work and d- go to school and just try to make a living for my daughter, um, he respected that so much. And uh, like I said, to the very end was one of the biggest supporters of her. So um, years passed by and uh, my daughter was 10 
and uh, this was back in 2019. Towards the end of that year, um, it was discovered that my father could no longer swallow. And we had no idea at the time, but we were in the last months with him. Um, after he went to a doctor's visit, he it was actually discovered that he had a terminal illness. And what's so amazing about my father um, was that he was able to kind of diagnose himself, like self-diagnose. And that's something he always believed in. You know, he didn't just listen to what the doctor said. He wouldn't just say... I mean, he listened to them, but he wouldn't just take what they said and and not do research for himself. He always researched things. And even before, um, even before he went to the doctor, he had researched his symptoms and he actually told me what it was before he went. And that I thought was very amazing because something that my mother, she actually didn't even know. But I'll never forget, um, my daughter was coming back home to me from Christmas vacation. She had spent some Christmas, uh, some time during Christmas with him and my mom and my extended family. And um, we were, she was coming back to me at the, at the gas station. And uh, he stopped and he said, I, I want to talk to you. He said, I, you know, and he told me what he thought was wrong with him. And I said, well, if that's what it is, that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll, we'll get through this. And, um, so I believe that was in January of 2020 and within a few months, things really progressed, uh, terribly. Um, he was in and out of the hospital for quite some time and, um, it just was, like I said, it was a terminal illness and, um, I believe that my mom, she wanted to protect me as much as possible from it because she knew how much of a daddy's girl I really was, but, uh, I knew something wasn't right and, and he wasn't the type to really pull too many punches. He would, he would speak exactly how he felt. And, um, even though mom, she offered, she was like, well, you want to try a different hospital? You want to try a second opinion? But I don't know, somehow, I don't know if God gave him the vision or what, but somehow he knew, I, I really believe he did. He knew that no matter what happened or what he did, it wasn't going to change the outcome. And I don't think he wanted to put us through that. Um, him and mom had been together for almost 40 years, um, and, or it may have been 40 years, but, um, yeah, so it was, it was something he didn't want to put any of us through. Um, but I know that towards the end, he wasn't able to really eat and, um, you know, lost a lot of weight and, and, uh, after a while it just, it was really, it was really bad. And, um, I remember the the last coherent conversation he and I had actually sat back in the room with him uh, while he was laying down and we watched. We We were watching a Billy Graham special and I knew that that was one of the last times I would likely have the opportunity to sit with him. Um, and I was, I was correct. I mean, what an honor it was, uh, to sit with him and, um, enjoy his time with him. Um, the next time that I was in his presence, he was transitioning over. Um, and I remember my daughter and I, 
got there to the hospital and um, he was, you know, beginning his transition and we were just all kind of just, you know, there with him and talking to him. And I remember telling him, I said, I will take care of mom. Mom is good. Like, you don't have to worry. I've got everything. Like, we're good. And it was about an hour and a half after that that he passed away. And so I always thought that was significant because I really believe he waited. Um, But, you know, (laughs) there are probably skeptics, but I just believe everything is connected and has reason. And that's what I truly believe, that he waited and uh, that he heard me. So I pray that he heard me. And even if not on this side, on the other. So um, I believe we do carry people's spirits and energies with us as we move through life once they are gone, our ancestors. Um, And so I am grateful and honored to have Dr. Clayton Beasley as uh, one of my ancestors. Um, So he will always and forever be missed. But I'm so grateful that I, I was able to be with him for as many years as I was. So um, I remember the night that he he passed, which was March 13th, 2020. Uh, some of you all may know that is the day that Breonna Taylor was killed by the police. Um, and then also our little cousin Morgan was born. And uh, her birth really showed me that love and hope continues um, even after death. And so I just, I know that when my father died, everything just, it it just seemed to fall in place as far as just um, making sure of like a caterer or even just, you know, being able to make arrangements because his was one of the last funerals that was allowed to be open to the public a little bit. Like people couldn't come all the way in, but they could come in and sign the guest book um, in, in the exterior of the funeral home. But um, only family could really be present. Um, but I think when COVID started getting more restrictions, uh, people weren't even allowed to do that. So we were grateful that we had that opportunity to even have an in-person funeral. Um, but yes, it was it was definitely something, um, and it was it was a it was live streamed. So that was something that was actually decided at the last minute. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. So we have that memory of, uh, of the last time we saw his physical form. But um, I remember the, the night that he passed, my mother and I laid in the bed together and slept together. And she told me, you know, dad's gone now. And I said, yeah, yes, he is. And so... Um, It was almost like, you know, I went from whatever age I was before he passed to just a grown up in like a matter of months. And I was already a grown up, but it just it just really felt more of a a mature role that I had to play. And I, I was I was fine with that. I felt like all the years and all the wisdom and all the energy that he put into me, um, it just really stuck. And I and I I felt like I was ready. I really did. I felt like I was ready. And and whether I was ready or not, I was going to have to, you know, step up as being a a driving force and just making sure that, you know, I I tried to be there for mom emotionally, you know, as I could. And and really, she was there for me emotionally. 
Um, I don't, I wouldn't have, I don't feel like I would have made it through uh, losing him without her, for sure. And so her and my daughter were very, um, two key factors in healing and, and working through that grief process. So very, very blessed and grateful to have that. But uh, as I close, I would love that you all would take heed to the message that I put in the episode details um, or description uh, to love and inspire and to take action and then to have fun doing it. I feel like those are some key lessons that I learned from my father Um, And I hope that you all found those themes throughout the stories that I told. Um, So I cannot wait to share more uh, stories and interviews with you all. Um, I'm really excited about this season and I'm looking forward to more conversations. So for now, take care.